Section 10 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abayi in July 2017. Criminal Investigation, A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers and Lawyers, Volume 3 by Hans Goss. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Theft. Continued. Section 5. Accomplices. Important thefts such as burglaries accompanied by sneaking entrances or carried out by armed burglars, etc., are nearly always committed with the help of people who keep watch or mount guard. This is only natural and these watches often furnish a point of departure for further investigation. Whoever commits a theft does an act of compromising in itself. He must therefore take the utmost caution not to be seen, and as a matter of fact he is very rarely observed if his watches are good ones. But the watcher himself has nothing reprehensible about his appearance. He will no doubt try, if possible, not to be seen by passers-by, but without directing all his efforts to this point. Indeed, he will often not hide at all, but intentionally attract attention to himself. He will even pick some quarrel, so as to get himself arrested for drunkenness or resisting the police, in order that he may give the comrade for whom he is keeping watch a chance of carrying out the theft comfortably and quietly. Such procedure is often met with, and leads to mishaps as vexing as they are comical. Since a novice is not usually chosen for mounting guard, it may be easily understood that he will not remain motionless at his post of observation, nor will he march up and down like a sentinel. He will seem to be coming out of a drink-shop or bazaar, or going to or coming from a rendezvous. He whistles, hums, sings, stumbles about in walking, leans with his hat over his eye, and discoursing to himself against some house or lamp-post or he lies down in the middle of the road in the attitude of a man who is dead drunk. But as often as not, on the approach of a person of suspicious mien, he wakes to his work and takes care to be in an easy position to get a sight of the newcomer, so as to find out whether he is dangerous, and whether in consequence the alarm must be given. This warning is of two classes. If the thief is merely to be invited to be careful, Use is made of a whistle, a smacking of the tongue, an unsuspicious cry such as, Hello, Tom, or Mary Ann, open the door, or Bill, fathead, are you coming, etc., or else of a cry indicating that all is lost and the best to be done is to take to immediate flight. A common method used by Indian coravers, who mostly work on railways or at fairs and festivals, and nearly always two or three or more together, when a wary passenger or spectator is found closely watching his property so that it cannot be easily purloined, is to post themselves on different sides close to him, and one of them, seizing a boy of their party, gives him a thumping, making the boy cry so loudly as to divert the attention of the watchful spectator. Seizing the opportunity of this momentary inattention, one of the caravars makes away with the bundle or other article of property nearest to him. 
If on redirecting his attention to his things, the spectator spies the thief, he naturally runs in pursuit of him, leaving his other things inadvertently behind, which in their turn are carried away by the remainder of the gang present at the spot. Should one of the bystanders, happening to observe the coraven, run and attempt to seize him, the latter flings the bundle in his face, takes to his heels, and thus eludes pursuit. The attitude of the watcher towards an intruder depends partly upon the circumstances in which the theft is committed, and partly upon his discretion and presence of mind. Above all, he must have a practised eye, so as to be able to recognise at a glance the relative importance of individuals coming to interfere. Neither the merry-making tradesman nor the student going home gaily singing will be judged worthy of any attention. It will be enough to make their presence known in some way or other. If he observes other people coming who at the time have no suspicion, but who may become suspicious on seeing a light or hearing a noise as they are passing near the scene of the crime, he will warn his companions by a pre-arranged signal, a whistle, smacking of the tongue, etc., to interrupt their work for a moment, to make no noise and to extinguish the light till the danger is past. A second conventional signal will inform them of the moment when the coast is again clear. When the person living in a home where a theft is going on comes back home in the nick of time, or when a neighbour or watchman comes along, and yet the danger is not quite great enough to give the signal for a general and sudden stampede, not only must warning be given, but also enough time must be gained to allow those working inside the house to hide, or even to slip away with the booty already collected. The watcher outside must for this purpose hinder intruders from advancing, and at the same time make enough noise to drown that necessarily caused by his companions during their flight. He will himself accost the person who has come along, or else will manage to be accosted by him. He will ask the way, or the name of an hotel still open, or the time. He will request a light for his cigar, or will beg for help to get up, pretending that he has fallen and hurt his foot. Sometimes he will relate in a loud voice, and with many details, that he has a paralysed arm and has need of someone to help him on with his overcoat, remarking how chilly the night has suddenly become. Taking up another line, he will draw the attention of the passer-by to something abnormal. He has heard a cry for help or groans. He has seen a glare in the sky, or the hooligans who infest the neighbourhood, or he has even met a mad dog, but all this in a direction calculated to make the stranger look or walk away from the spot where his companions are carrying on their work. If he has courage and finds a suitable piece of wasteland, he will play the drunkard, will give the passers-by the benefit of a lecture under three heads, will launch into politics and criticism, will quarrel with those who for amusement take up the argument, then he will make it up with his adversaries and finish by offering them his friendship. And when this rumcus, for this is what he is in the eyes of passers-by, has at length taken himself off, his companions have also disappeared, with the booty. The author remembers how, as a student, he was going home one night with some of his companions, when the party was accosted by an old man who on some pretext entered into conversation. 
he prophesied the approaching end of the world and proceeded to prove it from the prophet Jonah. After a long talk, the parties separated in a friendly way. Meanwhile, about two hundred yards distant from where the conversation took place, the Freemason's lodge of the town was broken into, and not only all the working tools stolen, but also the new tiled roofing, much to the satisfaction of all the good Catholics of the place. The cleverest watcher is without doubt one sharp enough to induce others to accost him. He looks about on the ground and declares to the sympathetic person who questions him that he has lost a coin, his watch, or some other article, and, when the newcomer helps in the search, relates to him not only everything concerning that loss, but the whole history of his life into the bargain. Another lies stretched upon the ground groaning so lamentably that a passer-by cannot help asking him the reason for his doing so. Then, amid continual cries of pain, he tells how he is suffering from a broken leg, strangulated hernia, or colic, until our compassionate soul goes off to find a doctor, who naturally fails to discover the invalid. One day the proprietor of a house where theft was going on returned home unexpectedly. All at once the accomplice, who was watching near the front door and who had not heard the return of the master of the house in time, the latter wearing rubber-soled shoes, began to ring the bell like a madman. The master of the house asked our friend what he wanted, and the later replied that his wife had just been suddenly attacked with the pains of childbirth, that she was suffering terribly, and that he had come to fetch the midwife who lived there. He was answered that there was no midwife in that house, that there never had been one, and that there never would be one but our man refused to listen and continued to babble and bewail his fate, till the master of the house offered to conduct him to the dwelling of the nearest midwife. The offer was accepted with a thousand thanks, and they both went off in haste to find her, and when the master of the house got back home, bathed in perspiration, he was just in time to catch sight of the last of the thieves escaping from the house, loaded with much rich booty. Above all, the approach of the police must be hindered, but as it is not always easy to draw them into a conversation under some stupid pretext, or ask some useless information from them, there is no other recourse for the watcher than to attract the attention of the police to his own strange behaviour. If possible, he will do so in a way which exposes himself to no danger. He will pretend some illness, or make some important communication, etc., if this experiment does not succeed, or if the danger is very menacing, there is nothing else for him to do but to get himself arrested. Without doubt he will take care that this does not cost him too dear. He will therefore, for preference, pretend to be drunk. He will stumble about, sing, cry out, bang up against the policeman. In short, he will do everything he possibly can to get himself arrested. And to make this arrest as prolonged as possible, he will try not to walk, will lie down, protest his innocence, ask pardon, but he will take good care to do no more than is absolutely necessary. That is to say, he will not go so far as to assault the policeman, for this would only have the effect of aggravating the offence and increasing the punishment. When he gets far enough away from the scene of the theft, his behaviour will get sensibly better, 
and when nearing the station-house or the police-court his drunkenness will have so far disappeared that there will be no longer any reason for keeping him in custody, and if, on the way, his custodians have found him to be a decent sort of chap, and see that they have not got hold of an old offender or suspected person, they may let him go with a severe warning, cautioning him not to behave like that again. If the pretended drunkenness does not succeed, either because the police take no notice of it, or it will take up too much time, the watcher is obliged to have recourse to a misdemeanor, which will bring about his prompt and certain arrest. The offences practised will be those generally committed by vagabonds when they desire to procure board and lodgings for the winter, for example, insulting the police, disturbing public worship, or any crimes rapidly committed and needing no preparations. The police may therefore safely not trouble about those small offences committed in words, such as insulting the police, the courts, or the powers that be, especially if the words have not been heard by other people, and it is impossible to discover the reason for their commission at the particular moment. If this reason is difficult to discover, it is because it has been carefully and intentionally hidden, and the police constable would do well not readily to fall in with the wishes of the offender and assist him to fulfil the service with which he is charged. He will then notice a hastiness on the part of the individual in question to commit some more serious offence, which will thus betray his desire to be arrested. The prudence of the constable thus warned must then be redoubled, and he will have every facility, while consenting to the desire of the criminal to be arrested, to keep his eyes open so as to find out what it is that the latter wishes to hide. In India such accomplices have a ready refuge in a night case, a bait which no Indian policeman can avoid swallowing with avidity. The following anecdote told of Count Sander, a person well known for his jokes and eccentricities, proves how easy it is to get oneself arrested. About the year 1830, the Count made a bet with the Chief of Police of Vienna that he would get himself arrested without having done anything in the least reprehensible. He disguised himself as a vagabond and drank in a disreputable drinking shop a glass of brandy, which he paid for with a genuine thousand gulden note. Ten minutes afterwards he was arrested. But if Count Sander succeeded in being arrested without having committed anything reprehensible, the expert swindler will succeed much more easily, as it costs him little when necessary to commit a real offence, if the success of the coup is worth it. The lesson to be drawn from the preceding considerations is therefore as follows. The police should not lose sight of the fact that the suspicious behaviour of a man may always have some connection with a guilty act which is being committed, and that this is all the more likely when the person in question, inoffensive as he seems to be, cries out on the approach of a policeman on his beat or any outsider. He must therefore pay particular attention to what is going on. Doubtless, in many cases, it will be impossible to prevent the watcher from carrying out his design, especially when he sees the police first. And yet, even in this case, it would be a fault to be no longer anxious. Suppose that an individual who is lying on the ground whistles on the approach of the police so as to inform his companion that there is danger. Of course, the effect of the alarm cannot be prevented. 
but if, as is usual in large towns, two constables make the beat together, one of them can occupy himself with the person who has just whistled, while the other will try to find out as far as he can whither the whistle was directed, and whom it was meant for. In short, discover the place where the theft is being committed and take the necessary steps. If the policeman is alone, it will nearly always be better to prefer the certain to the uncertain, and make sure at all events of the suspected individual. Then he can call for reinforcements to look after his capture while he himself goes off to discover the main case. In many instances, a noise is sufficient to make criminals seek for safety. It is better, therefore, at once to look after the individual arrested, and the case will soon be cleared up. The sprained ankle will soon get well, the drunkenness will be found to be quite a pretense, no papers of identification will be found on our friend, and, after an attentive examination, he will be recognized as an old offender. One individual of the band being in custody, the search for the others will be simplified to a great extent. The role of watcher is best filled by a woman, particularly a girl of 14 or 15 years old. A woman is more patient, more attentive, more cunning, and more reflecting than a man. She can count less upon bodily strength, quickness of flight, and personal courage, all of which qualities she is obliged to replace by an indefatigable attention, a straining of all her senses, and an ability to take advantage of all circumstances, qualities which naturally obtain for her this position. A woman is less suspected than a man, she excites compassion and needs assistance and protection. Every man feels himself forced in spite of himself to offer assistance to a woman whom he meets alone in the middle of the night. Moreover, a woman can make use of a number of situations in which she has a chance of invoking someone's assistance, situations which, thanks to her sex, she alone has at her disposition. She is more easily exhausted by fatigue, has more frequent fits of feebleness, and is more often in need of help than men. She can be turned out of doors by her husband, can be overtaken by the pains of childbirth, may be obliged to wander without a situation and without shelter, and she may be exposed to all the tortures of hunger. And in addition she has at her disposal the whole domain of sex. A woman, alone and in the middle of the night, especially if she is young and, as often as not, in the darkness of the night, pretty, will nearly always succeed in stopping a passer-by, and, if he does not accost her, she will know very well how to speak to him and make him stop. Nothing is more natural than to ask him a question, make a request, or utter a complaint in his presence. Nothing is easier than to get him to stop, if not altogether to turn him from what he is about, and if the woman pretends to be ill, unhappy, hungry, etc., there is no one brutal enough to quietly continue on his way. We have said that it is the young girl who succeeds best in this task. She will generally be met with crying discreetly, she is questioned with sympathy, and the little one then tells with sobs how she has been turned out of doors by her cruel stepmother and does not know where to take refuge. She will not go home where she has been so maltreated for anything in the world. This very day she had been beaten so hard that her body is all bruises. Naively she pulls up her sleeve to show the bruises, which, however, do not exist. 
She has them also on her legs, and, childlike, she lifts up her little dress to just below her knee to show the marks of the blows. All this can but excite the interest of the compassionate man. He has seen no bruises, but he has noticed a nice white arm and a well-rounded leg, and then the little one babbles so prettily. She is almost willing to accept the hospitality her new protector offers her for the night, but all at once she changes her mind, for she has heard a slight whistle, which informs her that the theft is successfully carried out. She decides to look for a friend, and, presto, she is gone. We all know these sort of stories, which are indeed more numerous than we suppose, for people who meet with such adventures are hardly ever willing to relate them. A rather amusing story may be told in this connection. Two students on arriving home in the middle of the night had just opened the front door and entered the lobby, when they heard the most dreadful groaning coming from the back garden. They at once ran to spot from whence came the cries, and perceived a woman on the ground, seemingly suffering from the pains of childbirth. Without leaving the students time to inquire how she had got over the high hedge which surrounded the garden, she entreated them to lay hold of her arms and hands, adding that she had need of nothing else and was well aware of what it was, etc. After a few moments she declared that it was time to find, as quickly as possible, some woman in the house. Hardly had the two students got up, when three men rushed out of the door. The woman was also at her feet, and all four, bolting across the garden, disappeared through a hole previously made in the hedge. The amazed students were soon able to find out that the first floor, whose tenant was in the country, had been broken into and stripped. To keep guard in the interior of a house is the most difficult part of a watcher's business. He must have self-possession and presence of mind to be able to justify his being in the house, or even, when it is divided into flats, inside a particular flat. The most incredible examples of effrontery are met with on the one hand and on the other of, let us call it credulity. A case may be mentioned where the actors were gypsies. A well-to-do peasant, having carefully shut up his house, had gone to work in the fields. On returning home to fetch something, he found, to his great astonishment, the front door open and the gypsy woman in the corridor, who, on sight of him, began to blow him up for having left the house open. She added that she had visited the stables and found an animal very ill indeed. The peasant made an amazement for the stables, and at the same time a gypsy escaped from one of the rooms and through the corridor, whence he made off along with the woman, carrying away the peasant's money and watch. Of course there was nothing the matter with the animal. Even in presence of the police the position of a woman watcher is much easier. It may be too much to say that women try to seduce them with their advances, that is exceedingly rare, but it is none the less true that a policeman, as much as any man, generally shows more regard and compassion to a woman than to a member of the male sex. Without wishing to blame them, yet we must never tire of pointing out to them by examples that a woman is as a rule a more cunning scoundrel than a man, and in the present connection it would be as well to suspect every woman, whatever her age, whom one meets alone in the middle of the night. Genuine cases of women suddenly overtaken with the pains of childbirth or illness, or who have been turned out of doors at midnight by an unsupportable husband or stepmother, or for some other reason, 
are exceedingly rare, and in such cases the utmost prudence is necessary. The position of the commissioner of police and the magistrate is quite different to that of the policeman on his beat. The latter can only discover the watcher when the theft has not yet been completed, for once all is over, the watcher is no longer at his post. The police constable infers from the discovery of a watcher that a theft is going to be committed in the vicinity about the same time, a theft of which he as yet knows nothing. It is very rare, on the other hand, that an individual is brought before the commissioner of police or a magistrate for watching, or whose arrest is a certain indication of an as yet unknown theft. Usually the crime is reported, and no one knows whether anyone has come across a watcher in the neighbourhood of the scene of offence. But if the question is not looked into, it may happen that the watcher for the entire band of thieves is lying at the police station for drunkenness, while the inspectors and investigating officers are deliberating over a bold burglary and lamenting the absence of the least trace of a clue to the criminals. It goes without saying that in a big burglary other important investigations should not be dispensed with on the pretext of looking for the watcher, and this refers particularly to the inspection of the scene of the crime. Yet an investigating officer is never so short of men as to be unable at once to allot one of them exclusively to search for the watcher. The latter always exists when the theft is one of any importance, and if it has taken place in a town or other frequented locality, the watching cannot be done without the watcher being seen by several persons. The essential thing, therefore, is first to find out the persons who have seen him. The most difficult case is where those persons who have seen or even accosted him are members of the police force, who are ashamed to confess that they have had the principal criminal under their hands. In this case it is the business of the superiors to let their subordinates understand that they have committed no fault in not arresting the watcher in question. If the latter is very skilful, he knows how to pretend to be quite inoffensive, and it is not possible to arrest or even watch closely every person, merely because he or she is found in the street at a late hour of the night. But even if the watcher has been awkward, or his appearance so suspicious that the police ought to have been and were able to arrest him, and have refrained from doing so because duped by him, the best remedy, as in all cases without exception, is to own up to the mistake which has been committed. This avowal will be all the easier, since the fault will generally be quite pardonable, for the watcher usually carries out his task with the greatest address, and the only fault of the policeman in not having unmasked a person so little calculated to arouse suspicion is that he has not acted with the most particular prudence and the greatest presence of mind. But when a police functionary has the confidence of his subordinates, and when the latter are aware that the fault is not an unpardonable one, it sometimes happens that he learns from the constables of his division that they have perceived such and such a person in the neighbourhood of the burglary and such and such a pretext. In the light of such information, the suspected individual must be arrested, and a practised police constable, who has seen and perhaps accosted the man or woman, is generally able to describe him accurately, or he will at least foresee the possibility of discovering a reliable clue. But if no constable has seen anything abnormal, it is necessary to find out, 
and as quickly as possible, whether a passer-by has observed anyone. This passer-by need not of necessity be an habitué of the immediate neighbourhood in which the theft has been committed. He may have come from a distance. It is therefore indispensable that the circle of investigation be enlarged as much as possible, especially when an important theft is in question. In this, as in all analogous investigations, the investigating officer must proceed with much circumspection so as to avoid scaring people, who often imagine that they are going to be made partly responsible for the offence. The main cause of the difficulty in finding persons capable of giving information about a theft is that, having an idea that they have not done their duty, they prefer remaining in the background to coming forward and making important statements. In the present case, they probably do not wish to appear to have been duped by the thieves, or perhaps they imagine this fact alone has rendered them criminally liable, or it may be that they are too ashamed of having conversed with the woman on the watch to say anything about it. Yet another reason why a woman watcher is more dangerous than a man. End of section 10